0: Across the Roman world, wailing at the sides of roads or on rubbish tips, babies abandoned by their parents were a common sight. Others might be dropped down drains, there to perish in their hundreds. Girls in particular were liable to be winnowed ruthlessly. Pretty much everyone had always taken it for granted until that was the emergence of a Christian people. So that's the historian uh, Tom Holland, describing uh, the practice of infanticide, infant exposure in the world, across the Roman world at the time um, when Jesus was born. But within just a few centuries, uh, the early church had so shaped society that leaving newborn children to die was not just illegal, but increasingly unthinkable. one finds nothing in pagan society remotely comparable in magnitude to the Christian willingness to provide continuously for persons in need, male and female, young and old, free and bound alike. That's the author um, David Bentley Hart uh, describing uh, the world again um, at the time of Jesus. But by the fourth century, the Roman Emperor Julian, who hated Christianity, uh, was instructing pagan priests across the Roman Empire that they needed to do a better job of caring for the poor uh, because, he said, the impious Christians provide not only for their own poor, but ours as well. So the early church in those first centuries didn't just live lives of justice – They didn't just build communities of justice. They shaped a whole society towards justice. The society and culture that we in the West have inherited today. So if you're here today, um, this afternoon, and you're not sure whether Christianity is good news, whether Jesus is, is good news for our world, I wonder what you make of that. And for those of us who are Christians, I think we can take enormous encouragement from the early church. Because in a world with a wide range of views on what justice requires, and from a place of little or no political or cultural influence, the early church shaped a whole society towards justice. They played their part in building a world of justice. And led by the same Lord Jesus, filled with the same Holy Spirit, we, God's people, can do the same thing today. That's the first thing I'm going to look at this afternoon, um, our part in building a world of justice. Our part in building a world of justice. So um, come with me to the first reading we had, Luke uh, chapter 12, uh, page 1047, sorry, Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to read um, from verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. So Jesus isn't saying um, that we can never have uh, enjoy a dinner with our friends or our family. right? He, he, we see him all the way through the Gospels, uh, eating with his friends, the disciples. What he's doing is calling people um, to reject the social system and structure which dominated and shaped the entire Roman Empire. That's the system of patronage. It basically worked like this. The only reason that I would spend money and time and effort doing a nice thing for you, having you over for dinner, is so that you have me over for dinner later. Right? I want to build up my popularity, my sense of success, my prestige, so you're going to come and help me, and then I'm going to go to you, and we're going to build each other up. Jesus says, you're not going to play that game. He calls, he calls his followers not to play that game. Instead, Jesus says, we're to spend time and money on the poor, the sick, the elderly. In our context, perhaps those speak English. Those people, where they're never going to pay us back. And you'll be blessed, Jesus says. And I think one of the amazing things about living in this city of London is that for most of us, To live out what Jesus calls us to would simply involve spending time and effort getting to know our neighbours. London is this extraordinarily diverse city with all kinds of different people living on top of each other and yet so much of the time it feels like rich and poor live in parallel universes. You've got all those council estates where where one person's there as a a social tenant and the other person's just bought the flat next door for half a million quid, And yet they never really... They just walk past each other, like, we're to be different, we're called to, Jesus calls us to be different. For some of us it might also be that that's something we can work out in our work lives, that we can be people who spend time and effort and energy and money getting to know, caring for those who have less than us. And honestly, if we all actually did that, if we just listened to Jesus' words in, these, in this passage and invited those kind of people into our homes and into our lives, I think that would go a long way to us playing our part in building a world of justice. It really would. And then, as we get to know people, as we come to care about people, love people, we'll want to help them, and we'll want to speak up for them when that's what's necessary. Proverbs 31, verse 8, tells us, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Um, let me give you an example of what that looks like. A few years ago, a couple of members of this church family got to know um, an elderly lady who lived in a flat on a local estate. Um, and as they spent time with her and chatted to her, they realised that the big, one of the big problems in her life was that her flat was really badly suffering from damp. It's not good for your health, it's, not good, it's just not, not good, right? And I mean, for those of us who, who've lived in Islington, this doesn't, shouldn't come as a shock, but after for many years she'd been writing repeated letters to Islington Council explaining that there was a problem with this damp and they had done nothing about it. Well, they had painted. That was, that was their concession was that they would paint over the damp so that she could ask in a year again that the damp would come back, right? And so the two church family members, they helped this um, lady get in touch with, contact the local MP. And then the local MP gets on the council's back and lo and behold the scaffolding goes up and the damp gets fixed. That's loving your neighbour. That's playing our part in building a world of justice. And that's something every single one of us here this afternoon could do. Get to know someone who's going to struggle to speak up for themselves. Spend time with them, find out what's going on, and then if, and then if, it's, if it's what God's calling you to do, speak up. And then there are the times where what God's calling us to is going to go further than that, deeper than that, in terms of responding that's the injustice we see around us. In the words of the pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we are not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice, we're to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. We're not simply to bandage the, victi- the wounds of the victims beneath the wheels of injustice, we're to drive a spoke into the wheel itself, we're to stop injustice at the roots. Um, I think it's Desmond Tutu who says, um, it's it's all very well um, keeping on pulling people out of the river, but at some point you're going to want to walk upstream and work out who's throwing them in. Right? And so what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it means that William Wilberforce didn't just buy as many slaves as he could afford and set them free. He led the campaign for the abolition of the slave trade. Lord Shaftesbury didn't just try and and, and release as many um, boys from the horror and um, inevitable cancer of being a chimney sweep. No, he spent decades after decades after decades against opposition until the practice was outlawed. And for some of us here this afternoon, it may be that that is God's call on your life, to step into the shoes, to to stand on the shoulders of of those Christian giants and men and women like them down the ages who have taken on injustice in the name of Christ at that kind of big picture national level. But for most of us, it's much more likely that what it's going to look like is tackling injustice on a much smaller level in our local communities as we see it at work in the lives of those around us. Again, let me give you an example of what that looks like. So um, Graham Hunter, who's the vicar at St. John's Hoxton just down the road, is a friend of mine. And he told me that um, as he and others in his church and his community got to know uh, people and they were kind of thinking about the cost of living Christ and all the stuff with energy bills, uh, they found out that people who were on prepayment meters, um, whenever they went to the um, corner shop to top up the card that you need to put in the meter, um, they'd be told, oh, I'm sorry, the, the machine's not working. Uh, that was it, it was and that isn't until they bought something in the corner shop, at which point the, magic, the machine would magically be fixed. So they were finding that every time they were trying to put money on their card, the corner shop owner was saying, no, no, you've got, to pay a bit. you've got to pay extra to use this machine, right, which isn't how it's supposed to work. So Graham and the others think, well, that's not how it's supposed to work. So they called up Payzone, who were the company who run the system, and said, can we have a machine in the church, right, so that if somebody wants to top up, they can just come to church and top up. And Payzone said, ah, nah. It's a lot of money for us to put the machine in. You're not going to do anywhere near enough traffic. We're not doing it. So some guys from the, the church and some other, con- I think a couple of other churches and other institutions of in the community they went to the pay zone offices in central London, and they said, we'd like a meeting with the CEO, and we're not really going to go anywhere until you give us a meeting with the CEO. And they got a meeting with the CEO. And they said, look, to, look, we're not asking for you to change your national policy, we're not asking for you to try and change, we're asking for one machine. And the CEO says, I'll oh, go on then, I'll give you a machine. right? It, it, that's loving your neighbor. That's playing your part in building a world of justice. And again, that's the kind of thing we can do. As we get to know people, kind of, like, what could we do as a community in this place? But as we, we're spread around the city, as we, as we see and, and hear about small local injustices, we can speak up. But to be honest, that might all feel like it is barely scratching the surface, right? If you actually step back, think not just about the injustice in this country, but the injustice that rages uh, around the world, that is scratching the surface, isn't it? How could we ever dream of building a world of justice? Good news is that that is not our job. It's not our job. We are are not tasked with building a perfect world of justice. We're to play our part, of course. But we are are tasked with, with working, but also with trusting. With trusting in God's promise of a world of justice. God's promise of a perfect world of justice. And that takes us to our second reading uh, in 2 Peter so do turn with me if you've got your Bibles open uh, to 2, uh, 2 Peter I'm going to go to page 1, one,, one, two, two, four, and read from verse 7 2 Peter 3 verse 7 by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly I wonder is that the kind of verse that makes you, go, makes you want to close your Bible again? day of judgment what will we see that's the day of justice that's the day of justice that's God's promise that one day when Jesus returns every human being is going to face judgment he's going to be judged by the perfect righteous judge who is Jesus Christ justice will be done and all injustice and evil will be destroyed We got rid of. And more than that, verse 13, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. Jesus will make sure justice is done and then he's going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth of perfect justice. Dwell with his people in perfect justice. Harmony. In the words of Amos, chapter 5, justice will roll down like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's coming. That's the promise of God. That's God's promise of a world of justice. And that is our hope. That's our only hope, actually. Any of you who are with us on Wednesday evening, hearing the stories of Mary's friends will have we'll been we'll be made brutally aware if you weren't already that if, if we're pinning our hopes on human authorities, on human power to deliver justice, we're going to be waiting forever. It's never going to happen. We play our part, but we are flawed, we are sinful, we are broken. It's never going to happen. But we're not reliant on human authorities to bring ultimate justice. Because God has promised that one day Jesus will return and he will make sure that justice will be done. And it is that hope, it is that promise, and nothing else, that will allow us to join in the confidence that Martin Luther King so beautifully expressed when he said this. Evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. The arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. How can you look the injustice of the world in the face and believe that? Because God has promised that it is so. That Jesus will return and justice will be done, and in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so we can join the song of creation in joy at the coming justice of God. Psalm 96, let all creation rejoice before the Lord for he comes, he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. God's promise of a world of justice gives us hope and it gives us freedom, it gives us the freedom to forgive, to not bear grudges, to move on. Sometimes in life we will be confronted with the absence of human justice. Sometimes we'll be confronted instead with the limits of human justice. But either way, as Isabel Hamley writes, full justice is impossible this side of heaven. Even when judgment has been rendered, when wrongs have been righted as much as can be, something remains. That we all know that something remains and that something can hurt like crazy. It really can. And often it feels like we can't let go of that something. We can't let go of that remnant because if we let go, well, that's saying we're giving up on justice. It doesn't matter. It's but you see, if, if, if God has promised that one day justice will be done, completely, perfectly and fully, then we can let go without giving up on justice because by letting go, by forgiving, we're not cancelling God's justice. Rather, we're trusting in God's justice. And we're setting ourselves free. I wonder if you've thought about it like that before. If you bring to mind those who have hurt you, Or those you love? Do you bring to mind situations where you've faced injustice? In those concrete places, do you trust God's promise that one day Jesus, the perfect judge, will make sure that justice is done? And as you trust that promise, does that help you, help us, as we walk out together, God's call to be those who forgive? as in Christ, God has forgiven us. So we're called to be those who are both working and waiting for justice. Those who both play our part and trust in the promise of God of a world of justice. But that leaves us with a question. Here it is. Why do we have to wait for a world of justice? Why do we have to wait for a world of justice? And the first thing I want to say is that is a deeply biblical question. In the book of uh, of the Psalms, God's words given to his people to pray back to him, that question is there all the way through, how long? How long, O Lord? How long are we going to have to wait for justice? Listen to Psalm 94. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. God, where are you? Where are you? Why? What is going on? That's a biblical prayer. That's a God-authorized prayer. So, So that when we see the deep and awful injustice in the world around us, we're not supposed to just close our eyes and walk on by. When we experience injustice in our own lives or in the lives of those we love, we're not supposed to pretend it's not a big deal. We're not supposed to have some neat theological answer that says, well, because it's all fine. The pain of injustice is right. And God gives us words like those of Psalm 94 to take that pain, that question, why, why, where are you, how long, and bring it it to him, to cry out to him in prayer, to cry out, For justice how long Lord why do we have to wait for a world of justice there is no full bow-tied answer but I think part of the answer is given to us in that reading from 2nd Peter chapter 3 come with me to verse 9 Peter writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to bring in a world of justice. Instead, he is patient. Because the reality is that when Jesus returns, that will mean justice, perfect justice. But for any who are outside of Christ, who are not trusting in him when that happens, what does that justice entail? It means paying the price for their part in the injustice of the world. And Peter's saying, God doesn't want that for anyone. He doesn't want that for anyone in this room. He doesn't want that for anyone you know. He doesn't want that for anyone in this city. He doesn't want that for anyone on this planet. He he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. What does that mean? It says, rather than trusting in myself, in my own life, in my own way, saying, actually, no, I'm going to trust in Jesus. That on the cross as he died, he was bearing the cost of justice. He was paying the price for my part in injustice so that I can be forgiven and God can be just all at the same time. If you're here this afternoon and you're not sure if you want to be a Christian. If you're not sure you want to follow Jesus, if you're not even sure why you're here, well, let me humbly suggest that you're here because God wants you and everyone to come to repentance, to, to, to put your trust in Jesus so that you can be forgiven and look forward to a world of perfect justice. That's God's number one priority. That's God's number one priority. His number one priority is people coming to know Jesus and put their faith in him. He is the God of justice. He cares deeply about justice. He has promised that one day he will make sure that justice is done. But right now, he's not brought in a world of perfect justice. He's living with the injustice of the world because he wants more people to come to know Jesus. And God's number one priority has to be our number one priority. We should, care, we should care passionately about justice. We should be people of justice, build a community of justice, play our part in a world of justice, and yet our number one priority has to be to share the good news of Jesus with people. We're called to love our neighbour. What's the, what's the, it, no, it might not feel like it, but what is the most loving thing that we could possibly do is to help someone to meet Jesus and so cross over from death to life. But as I close that, that doesn't mean that there's a tension or a choice that we have to make between sharing the gospel and doing justice. Instead, they go hand in hand, they fit together, right? Th- think about the early church, right? C- Christianity spread like wildfire across the Roman world. Why? Well, imagine for a minute being a woman, knowing that if if the baby you're carrying is a girl, your husband's going to make you throw them down a drain. Just imagine that for a second, and then imagine finding out that there is a community of people who will care for you and your child. Christianity is beautiful in its care for the weak, for the lost, for the broken, for those on the edge. It's beautiful. And the beauty of that gospel that Jesus died for every single person and loves every single person was displayed in the way that the early church did justice. Justice supported evangelism. But at the same time, what's the biggest reason that the early church was able to have such a dramatic effect on the culture and the world around them? Because so, so many people became Christians. So many people became Christians. It took over the empire. And so so evangelism fed into justice, right? Uh, Genuinely, if if we wanted to bring a more just society in this city, in, in our communities, what better thing can we do than help people meet Jesus and be transformed by who he is and what he's done for them? It all goes together. And, and just, just imagine with me for a minute, and it, just imagine with me what it would actually look like, right? If, if, if we were people who were so in love with the God of justice and so in love with the Jesus who's born the cost of justice, that we, we, we told other people how good he was, and we lived it out. Imagine if, if by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit... Our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, people we care about, came to know Jesus, and and the snowball affects the hearts, and suddenly you've got pockets in in corners, in estates, in 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 bits of how, in, in 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 workplaces where suddenly people are being changed by the gospel, and, and justice is breaking out. We can't do that. We can only play our part. God's done it before. He knows how to do it and He can do it again. Let's pray now that He would do that. Father, thank you so much that it's not on us to bring in a world of perfect justice. Rather, we're called to trust in your promise that one day Jesus will return and make everything right and in the meantime we work to love our neighbour, to love those around us in all that that means, to play our part. Father, our, uh, our, our offering feels so small and so weak when we look at the world and yet we know that by the power of your Holy Spirit you can use us. As we share the good news of Jesus, as we live lives of justice, we seek to build a community here of justice. You can use us beyond what we could possibly ever ask or imagine. Please would you do that for the sake of those we live with and around and for the glory of your name. Amen.